This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. And we're here today to talk again with Dr. Bill Dodson, who is one of the leaders in thought and practice in ADHD. He has over 20 years experience in the field of adult ADHD and is the recipient of the Maxwell Schleifer Award for services to people with learning disabilities and ADHD. Bill has also written numerous articles and done webinars for Attitude Magazine, and I will say you can find those on attitudemag.com. Bill, welcome back to the program. Pleasure to be here, David. So today we're going to be talking about emotional dysregulation uh, and how that applies to ADHD. It's something that has a whole aspect of emotional parts of ADHD has been left out of the definitions for many, many years here in the United States, and it's getting more emphasis now in Europe as one of the core symptoms of ADHD. So, Bill, can you explain the emotional dysregulation and how it fits into ADHD? Sure. Emotional dysregulation is really hot right now. So if this is the first time you're hearing about it, you're going to hear a lot more about it. Um, It's a really big deal in the European Union, although it's, again, continued to be ignored here in the United States. And the reason for intentionally ignoring it for 50 years is that back when they were trying to establish the diagnosis of ADHD, they wanted things that were visible, countable. Uh, And so if you look at the 18 different criteria that we have, they really don't describe ADHD that well. The one thing they have going for them is that they lend themselves very well to research. They are things that a researcher can see and count and do statistics on and most important, get their paper published. And so they consciously made the decision that they were not going to look at all these other aspects of ADHD. Uh, They were not going to look at emotional regulation. Uh, Anybody who's had their kid have a meltdown uh, in public or uh, a spouse who overreacts to to everything uh, knows that this is a big part of ADHD. Uh, They intentionally decided uh, to uh, ignore the fact that people with ADHD think differently, their cognitions are different, and especially how they get engaged and motivated to do things is totally different from uh, neurotypical people. Uh, It was hoped that, well, once the uh, disorder was well established, they'd come back and add all these things in. Well, it took them 50 years to do that, Uh, but they're not Mm -hmm. doing that in Europe, and the big thing right now 
first thing they decided to look at is emotional dysregulation. And the thing to remember is that here, um, we're not talking about the emotions themselves. Uh, the emotions that people with ADHD have are normal, universal experiences. Um, they, it comes along with, uh, with life. Mm -hmm. So you know, it, it, when people first hear about emotional dysregulation, uh, it's so common that it almost loses meaning. The first response is usually, well, so what? Big deal. You know, I have strong emotions. Yeah, and it's, it's an exaggeration of emotions, as I understand it, and not just anger. Um, uh, although anger is the one that they're looking at. But it's, it's yeah, and that's every emotion. The most comparing. Uh, right. So it's, it's defined as disproportionate. Uh, mm -hmm. Overreactor. People with ADHD uh, live emotionally intense, passionate lives. Um, they feel life much more intensely than a neurotypical person does. But that can also be said of somebody who's got bipolar disorder or depression or schizophrenia or you name it, people with psychiatric diagnoses, uh, their emotions are disproportionate to what's going on. And so uh, for ADHD, these are usually very short-lived, disproportionate responses to what's going on in, in daily life. Mm -hmm. uh, with a fairly quick, rapid response, uh, return to baseline. So it's these sudden storms of emotion. I just want to point out, uh, going back to one of the things you said with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, those kinds of things, they also have intense emotions, but they're in a kind of a, a different context, different pattern, uh, whereas Bipolar may be um, the increases in as far as hypomania and mania, and it's, those are really visible, and then their emotions are much more muted and depressed. And someone with schizophrenia, they're totally kind of skewed and off balance to what most would consider neurotypical, and that persists all the time. It's not a sudden storm and then down. Right, it's, it's constant versus episodic. And the other uh, big one is that in people with ADHD, these are triggered emotional responses. Usually they match the perception of the person. It's just they're variant, they're overreactions. Uh, whereas uh, with bipolar, the mood shifts are untriggered. They have a life of their own. And so there are going to be some major uh, uh, differences uh, mm -hmm. between dysregulation in bipolar versus dysregulation in ADHD. But the big one is that it's these are normal moods. What is uh, wrong is the it's a disproportionate response. It's an exaggerated mm -hmm. response, an overreaction to normal universally experienced emotional states. If you look at the work that's been done so far, um, it's been from a very narrow viewpoint. Um, if you read the European literature and the four or five articles that have been published in the United States, uh, they're looking at it strictly in terms 
Um, this is a uh, executive function deficit, that people don't have the skills uh, to manage their emotions. Um, it's, and so it's, and, and this is why I really don't like <laughs> a lot of the stuff, is yeah. that it's viewed strictly from a point of view of failure, of incompetence. Uh, and they uh, really don't even consider other possibilities, uh, such as uh, sort of what I call a supply side approach. Basically, people just get overwhelmed by the intensity of their emotional state. Mm -hmm. It's not that they lack the ability, it's just anybody would be overwhelmed. Uh, yes. Uh, they also ignore the possibility that people with ADHD just lack the neurologic filter uh, to suppress, slow down, um, and just giving the executive functions time to engage. So many of our patients talk about the fact that they find out what they're feeling uh, in the same way that everybody else does. It's out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the, no warning at all. I think this... Uh, brings up something that I've seen a number of times uh, recently, particularly in teenagers, um, though it's with younger kids too, with the uh, pandemic shutdowns and all of a sudden they're without their peers, they're without sports, which may have been some of their outlet and uh, exercise and also just camaraderie and they're stuck at home with their parents 24-7, which any teenager would think that's a terrible place <laughs> right off the bat. Um, and they're trying to, or they're expected to do school on the computer that they usually play games or do one thing or another on and just sit there instead of moving between classes. And they get overwhelmed by this wealth of information that's coming at them um, school kinds of things, but in totally different way, in a way they're not used to receiving it. It's a much different environment. Um, so they get overwhelmed with this information. They don't have the routines of classes, sports, and then do homework. And then they fall behind, so they get more and more overwhelmed. And they get anxious for a while, and then they get depressed. Um, and there's no motivation, so they're on their phone or skipping classes and um, and a lot of other things about the interaction school and student are even more confusing when you have six teachers and they have each different websites and you turn it in here and you get your material from a different place, but it's different all up. websites. Another thing that's overwhelming. Um, and then there's that exaggerated response of just freeze. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to disappear because you can't fight it. You can't run away from it. You're already defeated. You're already hopeless. Mm -hmm. If you look at the literature that's developing here in the United States, again, a very, very narrow viewpoint, and it's almost entirely emphasizing the regulation of anger. And irritability. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody agrees that that's a, a really big part of ADHD. Uh, you know, the meltdowns and tantrums in kids, the, uh, you know, the 
husband or wife that can't find the TV remote and you know blows off steam and gets angry. You know, everybody's asking, you know, where did that come from? Um, but uh, it's that that is what they're looking at. Um, mm-hmm. So what they describe is that a lot of people with ADHD, and they're talking about like 80% of people, go through life irritable, uh, irascible. Uh, and it's what, what the, the slang that you'll hear is that they're rubbed raw. It's like, you know, they have this sore spot that you can't see, and somehow you're, you know, the spouse or uh, friend or whatever, and you accidentally put your thumb on that rubbed raw spot, and boom, people go off at you. And you didn't even see the whole thing happen. It's just, you know, you're you're down on the floor, (laughs) blown away by that response. Yeah. So it's irritability, it's lability, Uh, again, rather than that, constant irritability that you'd see with somebody who was manic. With ADHD, these are frequent changes or episodes in mood, and it's reactive to what's going on. So mm-hmm. if these outbursts are not reactive to something, just they have a life of their own, we think of a mood disorder rather than ADHD. Um, also, people with in this mood dysregulation, a major thing that they point out is a lot of people with ADHD have a hard time recognizing and naming their own emotions. So that when the emotions come up, there's no handle, if you will, mm-hmm. grab hold of them and get control of them. Um, and it, it comes out in, in two ways. One is that they, they really have a hard time telling what the emotional state of the other person is. Uh, they now, when it's pointed out to them, they can see it, but spontaneously they don't. And so it makes many people with ADHD appear, and they are, but they appear as if they're cold, callous, um, narcissistic, etc. Mm-hmm. Insensitive to what other people are feeling, and how can you do that or blow up because that person was. Right. Um, and it, this, this does appear to be neurologic. Uh, it's it's not that the person you know has a narcissistic personality disorder. This really appears to be a neurologic difficulty with recognizing mood states in themselves and others. And the guys at Harvard, maybe again, they they have to put it in Greek. Uh, they call it dyslexithymia, uh, the wrong hmm. word for feelings. But most people with ADHD use misname their feelings. So when somebody comes in to see me and they say, Doc, I'm so anxious, my first response mm-hmm. is, tell me what your um, anxiety is like. Tell me about your baseless, apprehensive fear. In other words, baseless, there's no reason for it, but you feel as if something awful is just about to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten with my ADHD patients, they'll give me this quizzical look and they'll say, I never said I was afraid. I said, then let's get rid of that technical term. Tell me what you experienced. And they'll say, well, I'm constantly tense. I'm constantly going. I can never relax. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm revving inside. I said, oh, so what you're telling me is what it's like inside to experience the hyper arousal of ADHD. 
I'm and, not using the wrong word, they, but they end up being treated for anxiety for three years. Right, and I think the the other part of it is is uh, being worried, uh, right. worried that uh oh, I'm in a situation again, and I couldn't keep up with this class. I couldn't figure out how to write this paper, so they get worried that it's not going to work, and worried they're going to look incompetent or be told they're lazy or dumb, but it's not anxious, yes, because of a previous situation, and now they're in that situation, so it's a direct, uh, specific instance, as opposed to the medically defined anxiety of fear of impending doom, fear that something terrible is going to happen, even though my life's going fine. But it's not baseless. It's right. Real. They they worry about that because it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the great frustrations of ADHD is I know I can do this. What I don't know is whether I'll be able, all of my abilities will show up this time when I need them. Mm-hmm. And so you, just, you never know whether your capabilities are going to be there. One of the standard questions I ask every patient is look back over your entire life if you've been able to get engaged and stay engaged with literally any task, have you ever found anything you could not do? Most people with ADHD will think for a moment and say, no, if I can get engaged with something, I can do it. Um, people with ADHD are remarkable people. Mm-hmm. They can do anything if, and that's the idea, if they can get engaged, get access to their abilities, and stay engaged with the task. That's mm-hmm. what distractibility is. That's what procrastination is. Is that inability to get engaged. Yeah, kids that uh, can get into Lego and they're building things that aren't anywhere near what's in the book of you could build this tractor or this truck and they've got cities or people doing one thing or another and building fantastic models that uh, aren't in any picture, but they're putting into um, into being a uh, something that um, you don't see. One, I've got uh, twin boys who are, I think they're 12 now. One of them can fold like origami a robot. And he sat there and told me how he had to figure out how to make it so the arm could move on one of them. And he's doing this just with a piece of paper out of his head. Right. Which is absolutely amazing. But that doesn't translate to anything in math. I'm sure there's some math and physics and all that. (laughs) He's not doing it on that. He's just doing it. This is the way it happens. That's the way his mind can put it together. Yeah, and, and under the heading of no good deed goes unpunished, that ability to do remarkable things when you can get engaged then is held against you. Well, if you can do all of that, then you should mm-hmm. be able to do all this boring crap that they make you do in third grade. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the kid can do it. It's, just, it's, it's so boring they can't stay engaged with it. And so it... It's used against them, well, you're just being willful, you're being spiteful, you're being oppositional. 
um, because you can do something one place, but you're not doing this. And so they, they get blamed for mm-hmm. uh, this inconsistency of performance as if it were under their control. So that so the, that's, these are all just examples of the fact that it's emotionally a very difficult lifestyle to have ADHD, whether it's medicated or not. Mm-hmm. It's much harder if it's not medicated, but it's, it's a very difficult way of living. Uh, you have to work twice as hard for half as much. So um, that's... That's basically what's what they're now talking about is in terms of emotional dysregulation is these normal emotions that anybody would have is just they're disproportionate um, to the situation. Mm-hmm. We can also add to this, by the way, positive emotions because people with ADHD have a hard time uh, regulating that as well. So. Um, we all know that, that our patients, our, our friends, our family with ADHD are also very exuberant, dynamic people. Um, mm-hmm. They're stimulus-seeking. They look for new, interesting, fun things to do. So they, they, they can get over-excited on the good stuff as well. They, they have just as much trouble um, regulating their positive, creative emotional experiences as they do the irritability and anger that the research is, is so focused on right now. Uh, again, another reason why I'm not real fond of the uh, research that's being published nowadays is that uh, it's, it's very, very, very narrow and pejorative. It only, it only views this as a failure. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of the the motivating thing is that positive um, joy one gets out of, well, with this kid, for instance, making robots and seeing uh, what he's come up with, but to write a paragraph in an English uh, class is painful, and it's not interesting. Um, if If you have somebody with ADHD, what it's like to be bored... And they'll say, well, first of all, I don't allow that to happen because boredom is physically painful to me. Uh, I feel awful. I've got no energy. I'm irritable. I hate being bored. Mm. Um, and so it's uh, that, that's why people with ADHD are stimulus-seeking, sometimes risk-taking, uh, is that the reverse, being bored, being disengaged, um, is so very negative uh, for uh, for people with ADHD. Um, the this outlook, this way of looking at it in the United States, and to some extent the European Union, um, it, there's always a question. Okay, I got it. You know, I, I see this myself. I see it in my kids. What do I do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot to offer for emotional dysregulation. Uh, When you look at the behavioral treatments, the big problem is people with ADHD don't have the time to stop, 
calm themselves down, recognize what's going on, analyze how it happened, analyze what's going on with the other person, what are they feeling, to think about what their goals are so that they can, you know, put, you know, have all these different ways of handling, choose the best one. You know, they don't have time for that because these mood shifts happen in the twinkling of an eye. Mm-hmm. So, cognitive behavior uh, techniques um, really don't help that much. Yeah, it's it's unpredictable, I think, to the person with ADHD that they're going to react in anger or exuberance. Um, so, you know, the as I understand it, the classic anger management is step back and take a breath and see what's going on. And um, if you feel this coming on, then say, I need to take a break and we'll come back together in half an hour or whatever. And that's impossible because it's a flash that's totally unpredictable. I mean, who expects a blow up when his spouse says, have you emptied the dishwasher yet? Right. Bang. So, So it's, and again, it's my big issue is that these approaches are in setting the person up to fail. It's asking them to do things which neurologically they never get the chance to implement because it hits them so quickly and oftentimes it passes so quickly. There have only been three things that have actually been shown to be helpful. Uh, one of them is that People with ADHD tend to over-perceive the actual threat, um, the Mm -hmm. actual uh, uh, criticism or whatever. You know, you're standing in line at the in the lunch line to get lunch, and somebody bumps into you. It's probably an accident, but a lot of people with ADHD perceive it as mean attacks and, and things like that. Again, because that happens and they tend to overreact. So doing some cognitive restructuring uh, to help them see that they are over-perceiving these affronts and attacks. Uh, second thing uh, that's, that's been shown to help um, is giving people techniques in advance of these blow-ups um, to learn how to better tolerate normal frustration. I mean, the life of somebody with ADHD is full of frustration. Uh, And so being able to try and lessen that chronically all the time um, makes them much less irritable and reactive. Uh, The third thing that's been shown to be helpful is parent training. And the big Mm -hmm. thing there that seems to help is helping the parents control their irritability and demonstrations of anger. Um, a lot of times, parent has ADHD, they're having trouble with emotional dysregulation. They're overreacting. And so helping the parents not be a, a negative role model in this, they can you know, you know, role, role model how to handle frustration and anger, um, that's helpful. And I think part of, of that is the the parent learning how to set up a situation so it's there's a positive reward instead of kind of harping on how come you can't do it, you know, it's coming up, you've got this deadline, or man, if you don't 
get good grades as a junior in high school, you're not going to get a job, good job because you're not going to get to college. And of those that, yeah, that may be um, real concerns of the parent, but when they keep on harping on it, then the kid gets more anxious or depressed that I'm not going to be able to, to do that. So having, par- yeah, so parents learning how to set up the situation um, so they can avoid that either overwhelm, boredom, reactive anger to set up things that are a positive and let's work together to figure this out. I think that's a um, an emphasis on a, a lot of the good parent training programs. Yeah. So th- those are the three things on the non-medication side of things that have been shown to be helpful. Um, so it's better than nothing, but it, it's not the type of response that you would get from cognitive behavioral therapy with somebody who's neurotypical. Because neurotypical mm-hmm. people don't get blindsided. They've got time to remember those skills and implement them. There's um, one one approach I want to bring up here before I forget it, that you talked about uh, people with ADD have a hard time recognizing the emotions of or emotional state or whatever's going on with another person. And there's a, a woman, a psychologist by the name of Anna Vagan, and she has um, developed, basically chosen specific YouTube videos uh, and she works with a lot of autistic children, but it would extend to ADHD as well. So they watch the videos, and it's easy for a child to point out what's going on with someone else because it's not so personal. Um, and, you know, she'll say, boy, that person, what's going on? Oh, he's really angry, and that other person is scared, and, and then works that into has that you know, happen to you. So it's the, it's kind of a, a modeling in a way, but because then she works into ones that show a positive way of dealing with it, but it's helping identify those emotions and put it into words, which um, they can't when they're looking at themselves, but they can recognize it in someone else or it helps them learn how to. And practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. So the other things that have actually been shown to be a bit more helpful uh, have been the medications. And again, the, the research has been oddly limited. They totally ignore several medications that can be very effective. Um, and again, I don't know why. Um, unfortunately, with the medications, there's no way to predict in advance which medications mm-hmm. help which person. You just got to do it by trial and error. Uh, and for that, at least one third of families uh, who are ambivalent at best about medication, the notion of trying something and see if it's tolerable um, is, is not a uh, good idea as far as they're concerned. They don't want any part of that. So right. And we, that, that's where we are. We just can't predict in advance. One thing I um, think that, uh, I, and I think about this every time I hear the expression trial and error, nobody wants to be the kind of 
victim of the doctor making an error, which I think is the way it comes across, um, but it's looking at something that works or it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, what do you do? You try a different thing, you try a different pathway so it works. Um, that's one of those kind of embedded semantic uh, prejudice, I, I guess. So I'm going to have to remember and look at the, it works or it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, much we look for that. I'm going to start using that, David. <laughs> okay, great. So if, if you look at the literature, the literature um, tends to discount the use of stimulants. Uh, and so, you know, they're just not that, they have, quote, modest benefits for emotional dysregulation. Personally, I've seen it have great uh, benefits. Mm -hmm. The ability to slow down, to think, to be less impulsive. Um, I mean, that's going to be the first medication uh, that I'm going to reach for and make sure that they're on the medication pretty much their entire waking day because they have emotional uh, dysregulation their sure. entire waking day. Um, which and I'm sure... Knows that from reading the literature. Right. And, uh, and I think we've each seen uh, people that come in, they've been treating for anxiety, and they've been on all kinds of different anxiety medications and programs, and they're on stimulants for you get the right dosage, uh, come in in a month, I don't need, I, I'm not anxious anymore. Right. Because um, I, I can do this. And I, yeah, they're using the word anxious. Or yeah. Anxiety, uh, mm, and apprehension. Yeah. Um, uh, the medications that get a pretty good uh, story in the literature uh, are the certain specific reuptake inhibitors because they do have um, a fairly good uh, track record with explosive anger, uh, anger that just you know, goes from zero to FU in a fraction of a second. Mm -hmm. And the, the two neurochemicals that balance each other in the brain are serotonin and adrenaline. And adrenaline is the run for your life, fight for your life, Mm -hmm. side of the nervous system and enhancing serotonin brings that back into balance. Uh, so it really does help a great deal with people who have these sudden meltdowns, tantrums, uh, rage reactions, etc. cetera. Uh, and that, that has a uh, pretty good publicity in the, uh, in the literature. Mm -hmm. One of the medications, a set of medications, that is almost entirely ignored are the alpha agonists, which mm -hmm. to me is very pu uh, puzzling because that's their strength, is that they really help people slow down and be less impulsive. Um, they, they, that is one of their great strengths. Uh, and so it does help people get that extra two seconds where you, mm -hmm. you're able to slow down and figure out what's going on and then redirect that explosive anger someplace else and basically put your best foot forward. Uh, so they're very good and they tend to be the drug of choice for something we'll talk about in just a minute, rejection sensitive. Mm -hmm. And to um, put some of the, the medical 
reference, we call them alpha agonists, um, and that's guanfacine, clonidine, um, there may be another one in there um, that that I, uh, and I look at, okay, how did anybody back at some point think, gee, this really not very helpful blood or medication we use for high blood pressure works pretty well to calm people down. Um, but again, that's kind of in the almost tradition of um, ADHD. And I think it's passed along from one expert to another, someone who's starting out as, oh, well, if there's a lot of mood problems and you've used the stimulants, then you can add some guanfacine and it helps calm things down. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the alpha agonists have a dozen uses. All but two of them are off-label. They're not studied and approved by the FDA, but they're the treatment of choice. Uh, it's the treatment of choice. The first thing people are going to grab for tick disorder, but they're not approved. Um, they're uh, going to be uh, great medications for opiate withdrawal. Um, clonidine, what's the matter? Mm-hmm. And they don't notice that they're withdrawing from oxycontin, uh, which makes them very popular these days. Um, clonidine is the anesthetic that they do LASIK surgery under. Um, and they, they have hmm. all these uses. <laughs> they were terrible blood pressure medications. Yeah. And they are FDA approved for the treatment of ADHD. But, again, they tend to be ignored um, and just they, they don't get no respect. They work very well. And I think uh, it's, I've not seen, boy, maybe one out of a hundred or less than that of people and particularly kids who respond to using just guanfacine, for instance, for their ADHD, usually because you get enough to help the inattention and they're asleep all the time. So it, it often a balance. Right. They're used with stimulants so often that the FDA gives them a um, special uh, indication for use with stimulants. Uh, what the stimulants do remarkably well is once you're engaged, they keep you from being distracted. So you use the stimulants for performance enhancement, getting the tasks of life done easily, quickly, well, now. But the mm-hmm. stimulants don't help that much with other aspects of ADHD such as the hyperarousal, having three or four completely independent lines of thought going on at the same time, which is distracting in and of itself. They mm-hmm. don't do that much for impulsivity. They certainly don't do that much for rejection sensitivity. And so it's a good thing that we have another class of medication that works real well uh, for those things. So mm-hmm. for me, it's not one or the other, just about all of the people I work with are going to be offered both classes of medication. Uh, again, for people who didn't want medication in the first place, my offering of two medications is usually something we have to talk about for a long while. Yeah. But nonetheless, that's what gets the best long-term outcome. It's that balance. Yeah. It's, it's making sure that everything in the ADHD syndrome is carefully and fully addressed. Uh, the last medication that a lot of people find is helpful is Lamotrigine. 
And again, hmm. that's one of those things where, you know, clinicians try it, it works, they tell their friends about it. There's an oral history of using lamotrigine for uh, this overreaction of emotions, but nothing in the literature. So again, it's one of those practice-based evidence rather than evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. I'm going to need to uh, cut short our discussion, which uh, we probably could keep on going for another two hours anyway. Um, but this has been very, very helpful um, in looking at the emotional dysregulation, that oversensitivity to emotions, uh, which I liken to the sensitivity to texture of clothes or to noise. Well, there's a sensitivity of emotions, and I think this has been very helpful uh, information to me and uh, I'm sure to my listeners. Uh, this is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host of ADHD Focus, and I, I thank my guest, Dr. Bill Dodson, uh, for his expertise in the field and sharing that with us. So with that, Bill, thank you so much for another opportunity to talk with you. Well, thanks for inviting me, David. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Take care. <laughs>